Amen. You may be seated, church. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. Listen, I, uh, I fully understand that many of us in the room maybe stayed up a little later than normal last night, maybe ringing in the new year, and that's probably all you did, right? It's just stayed up late and just did your normal routine besides that. So I say all that to say I've got a little extra grace for you if you, uh, if you need to sleep for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> You go right ahead. This is a judgment-free zone. No one here will think any less of you. Chris may or may not take a photo of you and post it to the church Facebook account. I cannot confirm or deny that, but, uh, you know, you do what you need to do. Uh, no, seriously, though, I'm glad you guys are here. Before I jump into it, I do want to say something really quick, uh, and it, it's just this. I, I don't know if you noticed, right, but, like, we're a little stripped down today in terms of uh, people leading and serving, and there's a, a cool reason for that that I want to celebrate, which is which is this. Uh, so our whole staff got to take the last week off uh, and just be home, be with their families and rest, which is, which, which is hey, I'm grateful for it. <laughs> but uh, to, to kind of make up for that gap and prepare for today, several um, of the younger folk in our church who are being, uh, who have expressed a call to ministry and are being developed and discipled to that end, um, stepped up and planned and put together the entire gathering for today. So Taylor and Emma and Kurt um, pretty much did the work uh, to make today happen. Uh, I mean, literally, Taylor wrote this sermon. I'm just reading it for the first time. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, but a, a thank you to you guys. Thank you for doing that. And thank you, by the way, church body, for letting your staff take a week off. It was really good for me and my family. I'm grateful Grateful for you guys. Uh, so today, we're doing a New Year's Day uh, type sermon. This is a standalone. We're jumping into a short series next week on the life and calling of God's church before we jump back into the Gospel of Matthew in February. But today, uh, we're going to take a minute just kind of for the day with the year, with the holiday to reflect on just kind of what it means uh, to, to set goals around your faith. And, and the idea is this, right? Like, we have this, this cultural backdrop of New Year's resolutions, and, and we like to maybe, like, make fun of them because most people make them and then don't do them, right? Like, you get your gym membership January 1st, and then you stop going by, like, February 28th. I have a friend who says uh, March is where New Year's resolutions go to die, right? Like, that, that kind of thing. But I, I actually think that having this, this cultural reminder, right, this built-in cultural space that invites us to do some internal self-reflection and kind of see a little bit of a blank slate and set personal goals. I think that's a really helpful thing. And the reason is this, uh, the Christian life takes intentionality, right? To be a person who pursues after Christ, who grows in your faith, who grows in personal holiness, that does not happen by accident. And so having, having moments and time set aside for introspection, for considering your own heart and your own life and asking yourself and asking the Holy Spirit, what is my next step of faith and obedience? What do I need to do to grow in holiness, to grow in intimacy with you, Lord? Those are, those are good questions to ask, right? Like that's a, that's a good thing. Now listen, if you're like, I'm a... New Year's goals person, Kim and I have this tradition each year. We sit down, we have a date, we reflect on the year, reflect on what God has done in our life and things we want to work on. 
in our personal growth in the new year. I enjoy that. I think it's a, a, it can be a good and healthy thing. Uh, but, but I think this is something like a little more specific than that. And by the way, something you should do more than just January 1st, right? Like this is a part of the Christian life. But I think it would be good for us to take a few minutes together and consider what it might look like for you to meet with the Lord and ask what you need to do next in your faith. And that's essentially what I wanna invite you to do today. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter five. If you wanna go ahead and turn your Bibles there. By the way, if you're visiting with us today and you don't have a Bible, we have some house Bibles around the room under the seats. And by the way, if you don't own a physical copy of God's word, we would invite you to snag one of those and just take it home. We really believe and the importance of access to God's word here at Emmanuel. But, but the whole thing is, is this, guys. I'm, I'm gonna work through this text, the relatively well-known text in Ephesians. And, and my goal is gonna be to really just kind of throw a bunch of ideas up against the wall about what it might look like for you to reflect on next steps in your faith, of, of actually committing in your own heart and committing with the Lord to grow in your intimacy with Christ. I'm gonna put a lot of different things out there that come out of this text. And my hope is that this, you would have a soft, open heart, soft, open ears to hear from the Spirit and actually consider that. And, and the reason is this, guys. New Year's resolutions are beautiful and fun and it's a great little cultural moment. But as Kurt said a little bit ago, we all know nothing magical happens at midnight on New Year's Eve, right? No, no, nothing actually changes in your circumstances. Last year's worries and anxieties don't magically expire because a ball dropped in New York. They still sit with you. They're still there. The world is still evil. Injustice and wrong still happens. You still have struggles. But beloved of Jesus, take heart because the gospel is still true. Jesus is still king. And Jesus is still coming back to restore all things. You can, hear me, church, you can choose here, now, today to live your life intentionally for and toward the kingdom of God. You can. And there is hope in that, brothers and sisters. There is hope in the kingdom of God, in your citizenship in the kingdom of God. There is hope in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and in the promise of Christ to return and restore all things, beloved, you can, regardless of your circumstances, walk into the new year full of hope because the Lord is real. His gospel is good and he is ready and set to sanctify you, change your heart, mold you to be more like you, more like him and prepare you and keep you for the coming day of his return and the eternal establishment of his kingdom, amen? So, but that being said, let's jump into this text. Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 15. It says this. Pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Jesus, we ask today as we take a few minutes to consider your word. 
we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us soft, open hearts. Lord, give us open ears to hear from you. God, regardless of what circumstances brought us in these doors this morning, regardless of what finds us in this space today, God, we pray that you would find us in this space today, that we would hear from you, hear from you what our hearts need, that we would leave here encouraged in the beauty and power and sufficiency of the gospel, Lord, but we would also leave here challenged to seek you further, to seek you with our all, to give you our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that you would grow this church. I don't mean that you would just draw people in, Lord. I mean, I pray that you would take this church, take us, grow our roots deep into you. Mold our hearts to be like you, Jesus. Sanctify us. Keep us. Preserve us for the kingdom. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So I want to I wanna get into this, but let me take just a quick second and put some context around our text here. So Ephesians, this book, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. This is one of many letters Paul wrote in the New Testament. You can actually read the story about Paul's ministry in Ephesus in Acts 19. I'd encourage you in your free time this week, go back and read that text. It puts a whole lot of meaning around this entire letter. Ephesians is an interesting letter of Paul's because he's not, it's not an occasional letter. He's not writing them because he needs to rebuke some massive sin in the life of the church. He's not writing them because they sent him a bunch of questions he needs to answer. He's writing them because he's in prison and he's really sad and he loves this church and so he writes them a letter. And, and that's really the whole context for Ephesians is, is Paul, Paul had a multi-year ministry in Ephesus. He grew in a, in a greater depth of relationship with this church than the vast majority of the churches he served. Remember, Paul had an apostolic ministry, and so he went from city to city around the world. He didn't tend to keep his roots in one community terribly long, but he was with Ephesus a long time, to the point that when Paul was making his final journey to Jerusalem to be uh, arrested and persecuted, the Ephesian elders left the church and chased him down so they could circle around him and pray over him and encourage him before his coming persecution. This is a church with which Paul has deep relationship and deep affection. And so he writes them this letter for no reason other than just, life is hard right now and I need to talk to my people, right? And so Ephesians is divided into two main sections. It's kind of split in half, chapters one through three and chapters four through six. In one through three, Paul does the longest introduction in human history in, in kind of just a Pauline fashion. And he spends literally half of the letter just beautifully explaining the truth and power of the gospel. Ephesians one through three is one of the most concise and theologically deep explanations of the gospel in the whole of the scripture. And then at the very end of chapter three, there's this pivotal therefore, where Paul just basically goes, okay, that was the introduction. Because of that, let me give you some thoughts. And then Ephesians four through six is Paul walking through how he believes that that gospel should work itself out contextually for the Ephesian church. He, he talks really specifically about lifestyle, about the way they engage each other, the way they treat each other in Ephesus. Our text in Ephesians chapter five is smack in the middle of this section. 
Paul, who knows these people, who knows this city, who knows this community, is talking really clearly about what the ways the gospel will work itself out in the everyday life of the Ephesian church. And in our text, again, smack in the middle of this larger section, Paul takes a minute to go, let's just talk about life on earth, period. How being a human, living a life is affected by the power of the gospel. And that's where we get our text. So so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna walk through kind of each little phrase of this short little text. He packs a lot in here. So so do your best to stick with me because I think there's some some good stuff in these few short verses. We're gonna walk through this. And essentially, we're just gonna ask, what is Paul saying about the Christian life? What does the gospel of Jesus, Christ's accomplished work on our behalf, his, his perfect life, his unjust death, his resurrection by the power of the spirit, his ascension to heaven and his eventual return, that gospel story that frees us from the power of sin, that promises us eternity with Christ, what does that do to how we live our life here and now? And I think you will be surprised how just immediately so much of this context for the church in Ephesus applies directly to us here at Emmanuel. So let's walk through this. Pay careful attention then to how you walk or how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Paul says they need to pay careful attention to how they live. Some of your translations say walk. The reason it says that piece, by the way, is because walking is kind of this New Testament image shorthand for being alive, the human life, right? Walking your path, walking your journey. This is an image Paul and the whole of the New Testament uses continually about living. Paul says you need to say, pay careful attention to how you live your life. Pay careful attention. This is a direct statement. This is a here and now kind of instruction. The Anglican theologian John Stott says something I think really beautiful of this text that I think really encapsulates what we're getting at today in this whole sermon. He says, everything worth doing requires care. We all take trouble over the things which seem to us to matter. Be it our job, our education, our home, our family, our hobbies, our dress, our appearance, or anything else. So as Christians, we must take trouble over our Christian life. We must treat it as the serious thing that it is. See, Paul is immediately here telling the Ephesian church and us that you cannot just shrug your way through a Christian life. It takes intentionality, takes care, takes thoughtfulness. And he specifies what that means. We are to live as wise folk, not unwise folk. And that, by the way, that's the lens for the rest of this little chunk of text. As we look at the progression of this text, verse by verse, it all is building off this idea. Christian, live a wise life to the glory of God. So what then is a wise life? Paul gives three very practical applications. And remember, he's saying this to a specific church at a specific time, so so take that for what it is. But I think a lot of this connects to how we connect with Christ and how we live out our faith here and now. He gives three kind of specific ideas here about this wise life, this this life that is careful in how it walks. The wise life makes the most of the time 
because the days are evil. This is verse 16, right? Making the most of the time because the days are evil. This phrase, the days are evil, it isn't, it, it's, he kind of says this intense phrase. He's not, he's not saying that literally, that like all things always are pure evil, right? There's still beautiful and good things that happen in the world. People fall in love and babies are born and all those sorts of things. But you, you get what he's saying. He's using this extreme phrasing to, to challenge us to use sobriety when we consider our lives on this earth here and now. The idea here is that the absolute best that this world has to offer is simply not good enough for how God actually designed his creation. That's, that's an important way to consider it. If you look at the world we live in now, the best cultures, the best countries, the best governments on the planet, they still commit injustices, both through individuals and through their institutions. People still die. People still suffer. There's still such a thing as betrayal. People are still ravaged by physical and emotional illnesses. And these are in the best places on the planet, right? There are places and peoples where injustice and suffering and oppression are the predominant experience. Even today, it's a real thing for some human beings. There are wars. There are dictatorships. There are caste systems. There is slavery, go down the line, the world is a hard place. It's an evil place. But, praise be to God, the days are short. So that's a double-edged sword, right? Praise be to God, the days are short because these evil days are passing away. Christ will return and restore all things. When Christ returns, there will be no injustice, no suffering, no betrayal, no hurt, no sickness, no tears. But that also means the time is short. There are those who need to hear of Christ, those who need to come to him. So Paul says a wise life, a wise life has sobriety to realize the days are evil, but there's not many of them left. So make the best use of them you can. Make use of the time. The wise life seeks to avoid foolishness by knowing God's will. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Avoid foolishness. I love that phrase. I feel like that's the kind of framing, just internal mental question a lot of us, maybe I'm just saying me, but a lot of us probably just need that playing internally daily, right? Whenever that relational slight is dropped on you, whenever you doom scroll and find the current social media post or news story you're supposed to either be enraged about or scared of when there are wars and rumors of wars, It'd be kind of good to have that internal just, is this foolishness? Is this best just avoided? Uh, and again, maybe that's just me. I'm not trying to project on you guys. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that sounds amazing. Yes, I'd love to avoid foolishness and just live in the will of the Lord. So how do you actually do that? You avoid foolishness, Paul says, by knowing the Lord's will. There's something about understanding the will of the Lord that helps us to identify and rise above the foolishness of this world. So how do you understand the Lord's will? It's a great question and leads to something very practical as we consider what it might look like for us to engage our faith intentionally walking into the new year. Uh, if you wanna understand the Lord's will, you have to listen to it. You have to hear his words. You do that by reading his words. His will is preserved for us. Amen? So if you want to know the Lord's will, 
to read his word. Period. There's no way around that. There just isn't. If you consider what next steps in your faith might look like this year, man, I feel like some of us probably just need to consider this book. Guys, there are very few things, very few things you can do that will have as direct and immediate of an impact on your faith as simply deepening your engagement in the word of God. I know that I am a pastor and that is the thing I am supposed to say every time I talk, but beloved, do not miss that. If you want to grow in intimacy with the Lord, if you want to see your faith take a next step of obedience, whatever your current relationship with the word of God looks like, take it a step deeper. For some of you guys, you may need to actually start reading God's word. You may need to actually have the word of God in your head more than just 35 minutes on Sunday, right? So maybe you need to download the Bible app and work through some of their free daily devotionals and just have some of those morning quick thoughts. Maybe you need to pick up a classic like Heinz Feet in High Places or My Utmost for His Highest or New Morning Mercy, something that gives you a verse and a thought every morning so you can engage and pray. But some of you need to actually take a step beyond devotional reading. You need to actually read the word, not just snippets of verses here and now for five minutes before you get up. Some of you may need to develop a personal discipline of regular focused study or reading. You may need to jump into a Bible study. You may need to find a discipleship group. You may need to commit to a gospel community so you can engage the word with other brothers and sisters and be challenged to grow in that discipline. You may need to start a discipleship group or Bible study so that that discipline happens in your life. Some of you may already be there and you need to move past the intellectual reading of scripture and commit to some new and more experiential spiritual discipline to help you digest the word of God, like journaling or fasting or meditation or prayer. You may need to be discipled to grow to the next level, regardless of what that may look like for you, beloved. If you want to make the most, if you want to make the most of the short time we have, if you want to live the wise life that Paul is describing, if you want to have increasing intimacy with the Lord, part of that experience will look like deepening your relationship with the Word of God, period. Three, the wise life rejects the escapism of drunkenness and chooses instead to be full of the Spirit of God. Verse 18, it says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, this one is, I think, really important for us. Because some of you are hungover right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> ah, you might be. Welcome. Glad you're here. Sorry I keep shouting. I do think this is really important for us because, you know, Paul is specifically choosing to address escapism and excess through drunkenness. Remember, he knows this church. He knows the cultural context. But I want to be really clear here. The principle that Paul is getting at applies to all, hear that again, church, all, one more time, church, all the ways that we seek to numb our hearts and escape negative emotions and negative experiences in this life on earth. All of them. If you're in this place and you struggle with addictive or compulsive behavior, whether it is drunkenness, sexually acting out, overeating, obsessive fear and anxiety, binging media, isolating yourself from a relationship when you're sad, whatever poison you have picked to help you avoid negative and painful emotions and experiences, beloved, this text is for you. You can walk in freedom. 
Lord has freedom for you. You need not be dominated by numbness. You can actually live your life fully present, fully present in these evil days. You can experience both the wonderful and the hard. And this will happen when you choose to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit instead of escapism. There's this beautiful little turn of phrase in Paul's Greek here that we, that we kind of miss, but it centers around this phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And essentially, it assumes that the Holy Spirit won't just fill you, but he'll vivify you, he'll energize you. This is, this is kind of like meant to be this direct contrast between alcohol, right? Like alcohol's the downer, it slows you down, it numbs you, but the Holy Spirit sharpens you and fills you and like gets you full of energy, not drains you. Well, I say that because this, beloved, I need you to hear this. Escape, whatever form you may choose to take with it, it works. It helps you avoid pain. It numbs you. Chasing after alcohol, marijuana, drug use, food, pornography, media binges, isolation, all of these things. People do them because they work. They help you avoid pain. But it does so by numbing your heart. It does so by, by removing you from the experience. Instead of making the most of the short time that we have, you end up wasting it. You spend that time on things that leave you experiencing the life that God actually has for you less and less. They pull you away from the life that God has designed for you. Beloved, as you consider what your next steps of faith might be this year, why not, why not just consider standing up and fighting against your heart's bent toward escape and numbness? I mean, what would happen, what, what would be the worst that could happen to you if you actually confessed these struggles and brought them into the light? Beloved, I want you to hear this. Your church, your pastors, we... We love you. There is no shame in this place. We would be honored, privileged to walk with you towards increasing freedom. That could look like a lot of things. That might mean you need to bring things into the light for the first time, find one-on-one -on -one discipleship with someone who can help draw you to the gospel afresh. That might mean you might need to find and join a gospel-centric support group like the men's sexual integrity group that meets here that our church helps run. That might mean you need to seek out, and we would love to help you do this, gospel-centered counseling to work through deep abiding wounds in your heart that have not healed, that push you to those things. Beloved, your church loves you because your Jesus loves you. We want to help you take the next step. We long for that. We long to see each and every person in this body filled with the Spirit of God rather than numbed out by escapism, missing out on the life God has made you for and the life God has called you to. Whew. So how does that happen? To, 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 if, if it isn't already like hard enough and direct enough and a little complex because it's Paul, Paul actually takes this onion of the intentional wise Christian life a layer deeper. And after listing out kind of like three like examples of this wise life, he's actually gonna stop and then give three more examples of this Holy Spirit filled life that chooses a filling of the spirit over numbness from escapism. I know we're getting a little complex here, but, but follow it. It's, it's, it's worth it, I promise. 
Paul gives three marks, I would say, of kind of this life full of the Spirit. He says, a life full of the Spirit speaks and sings the gospel to other believers. A life full of the Spirit lives with constant gratitude to God, and a life full of the Spirit is one of mutual submission and mutual love. And we could send a whole sermon series picking those ideas apart. But hopefully, you're kind of seeing a little bit of a connection point here. Think of what Paul has told us thus far. He wants to see the church of Jesus bring intentionality to their lives, to be careful, to, to live as wise rather than unwise folk. This takes intentionality. So followers of Christ must live their life pursuing Christ with the realization that our lives here and now are for eternity. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back so we should make the most of the short time we have in this sinful, broken world. If we're gonna make the most of our time in this sinful and broken world, it'll be because we're connected to the word of God, not the foolishness of this evil world. To do that, we have to seek the spirit, not numb ourselves out every time we suffer or hurt in this evil and broken world. And here he says that a life full of and seeking after the spirit is a life given over to the fellowship of believers. All three of the things he lists out here are about living our Christian lives connected to one another. Let me just kind of end us by moving through these thoughts really quick. Speaking and singing the gospel to one another. He says, you know, speak, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. It is, it is so easy, isn't it, to think of our corporate worship as this intimate one-on-one -on -one experience with you and God, right? Like, especially because we have an amazing band. It's like the music's going, and they, like, turn that pad on. You know, the thing that's like, uh, if they turn that thing on, you're just like, mm, it's just me and the Lord. You close your eyes. You can't hear anyone else. It's just you. Right? Like, it's easy. It's easy to do that at times. And by the way, there is truth in that. In corporate worship and in private worship, there is a direct, a direct space of you and the Lord. You praising him, telling him who he is, telling him the sufficiency of the gospel, thanking him. Where I guess that's a real and beautiful and true thing. But there's a reason that we gather together. There's a reason we sing when we gather together. Because when you, when you proclaim the sufficiency of the gospel through your worship, which, by the way, that is what you're doing, right? When you sing these songs, you are preaching the gospel. You are saying, this is true. Look at this. Look at the gospel. Look at Jesus. You're not just saying that to the Lord and thanking him. You're not just saying that to yourself and reminding him. You are preaching that to the rest of the room. Beloved, there are people who, who drag themselves in the church on Sunday, beat up, discouraged with an empty tank. Is the gospel still real? Does God still love me? How is this happening in my life? And they get to stand next to you and hear your off-key proclamation of the sufficiency of the gospel. And we can laugh at that because some of you are like, that is me, I am, that is, I am that one. And then I try and clap and it's off a half beat. But man, you're proclaiming the gospel. You're speaking the truth, the love of Christ into ears that need to hear it. And you have no idea who it is. I mean, you might sometimes, right? I mean, how many of you have been, have been the recipient of that? I received that this morning. 
When you guys were singing how deep the Father's love is, and you were, you were singing so loudly, you were overpowering Emma and Kurt on stage, and I was just hearing the gospel from my church family wash over me. That, was, like, that brought me to Christ. It's a real thing, church. Your worship is not just you and Jesus. It's a, it's a family experience. It's a corporate experience. You are partaking with the body of Christ in proclaiming the sufficiency of the gospel. And beloved, doing the ministry of the gospel fills you with the spirit. If you want to hang out with Jesus, if you want to hang out with his spirit, you go where his spirit is. You do what his spirit is doing. Where is the spirit of God and what is he doing? He's out seeking and saving the lost. He's out proclaiming the gospel to those who need to hear it. So when you join in the work, when you proclaim the sufficiency of the gospel, you're saying, spirit, let's hang out. Let's do this. And it is energizing, isn't it? When you have those moments where you actually open your heart up to the Lord and you actually give yourself over, to the beauty, the power of the gospel, and you join in with the church family. There is something about it that just, it's filling, isn't it? A heart that is filled with the Spirit gives thanks for everything. The text here says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always for everything. Thankfulness. Always for everything. This is the mindset both personally and corporately that isn't, that isn't foolish, right? Like Paul's been very direct. This isn't about foolishness. This is a mindset that fully acknowledges, that soberly realizes the days are in fact evil and awful things happen, but God is good. That is the mindset of this kind of thankfulness. To give thanks to God in the name of Jesus Christ Always for everything, always for everything in this broken and evil world where horrific things happen. That's, that, this isn't some, some cliche thing where you, you experience suffering and you go, well, you know, God works everything out for good for those. Who, that, that's not what this is talking about. Well, but sometimes in this world, things happen that are so dark and so evil, there is no cliche that comforts them. You just have to sit in it and go, oh, that should not be. How do you give thanks to God always for everything? For even those things? Yes. Yes. Thankfulness to God in that moment says the days are evil, but they're short. God, you're good and you're coming back. And you don't tarry that we might suffer. You tarry because you're gracious. You tarry because you desire that more might come to know you. God is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. Rather, rather, he's patient, desiring that all might come to know him. Beloved, thankfulness for always, for everything, is the kind of thankfulness that says God is so good, there are still empty seats at his wedding feast. And yes, I'm experiencing something awful right now, but this awful is not forever. The Lord is forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your forever. Yes, thankfulness, always, for everything. When you, when you allow yourself to, to, to put the good and the bad of your life here and now in the larger cosmic context of the wedding feast of the Lamb, beloved, you are inviting the Spirit's presence into your heart, and it is energizing. 
And if you've been in one of those dark places where there is no silver lining to that cloud and somehow the gospel of Jesus still rings true to your heart, you know what I'm talking about. To fall at the feet of Christ in the midst of deep and painful suffering with gratitude that says, Lord, the days are evil, but they're short. Thank you. You know. It draws you to life. It fills you with fire of that spirit. Lastly, the heart full of the spirit is a life seeks the betterment of the other, submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ. This is what is meant by this term, mutual submission. It's about brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of their relationship, seeking the betterment of the other first. Others first is the mindset of the Spirit of God, period. This is how Christ treats us, amen? The same Christ who comes to earth allows himself to be, to be humiliated, poured out, found in human form, live a human life, unjustly betrayed, tortured, and killed on our behalf. The God of the universe, right? Other, that's an other's first mindset. When you know, Colossians 1 says that, that all things hold together by the will of Christ, that it was the will of Christ that sustained the life of his torturers and executioners, right? That is an other's first mindset. The life that is filled with the Spirit, the life that is seeking the Spirit is a life that looks at the world around us and says, man, how do I, how do I outlove and outserve my brothers and sisters? How do I lift them up trusting, trusting that I'll be cared for? I don't have to protect, defend myself. I don't have to make my own way because Christ has made a way for me. So instead, I can pour myself out for those around me in their need. Because the days are evil, but they're short. Christ is coming back. He's already made an eternal way for me. So I can not just give, I can give joyfully, knowing my eternity is secure. Man, this, this is the life filled with the Spirit. And work it backwards, church. Work back through what Paul is talking about. This, this kind of life where, where, you're, where you're seeking the betterment of others, where you're seeking to love and serve your brothers and sisters, where you're walking in actual gratitude for the life, the context God has given you, where you're preaching the gospel to yourself, to the Lord, to those around you, where, where the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life, right? Think about that kind of life. It's the kind of life that draws you to all these things Paul is talking about draws you to push away numbness and escapism because you don't need it. Because the Holy Spirit actually causes you to endure and to survive and to walk through the painful, hurtful things of life. You don't need to numb yourself from them because you actually have gratitude to the Lord for the life he's given you and the work he's called you to and the people he allows you to love and serve. You don't have to be drawn into the foolishness of this world because you find your life in the sustaining word of the Lord. You're able to make the most of evil days. You're able to walk in wisdom and intentionality, knowing that your eternity is secure and you can give yourself freely to the kingdom here and now. Which brings us back to where we're going to land today. Guys, if you want to come up, we're going to take a few minutes to pray and respond in just a second. Here's what I want to land us with, church. The days are short. Time is short. The Lord is going to return. He's 
coming back. You know, in, in, in the end of his gospel ministry, and in, in, in the gospels record Jesus having these conversations with his disciples where they're asking him about this peace. Lord, when will the kingdom come? When will you finally restore all things? And Jesus, when he speaks to it, and, he, and it's, it's the same in all the accounts of this in the gospels, he just says, look, you don't get to know. You don't get to know. If people tell you they know when I'm coming back, they don't. That's a good reminder for us every six months when the new weird book about some weird prophecy and a moon and like, they don't know. Trust me, they haven't figured out a way to read Revelation that no one's figured out in 2,000 years. Jesus says, you just don't get to know. It's gonna come suddenly. And it is coming. So what he says is, how about instead of worrying about when it'll happen, you just worry about being ready. Just worry about being ready. Don't be caught unaware, but be ready. Because it will come suddenly. Beloved, the time is short. And this isn't me giving some like apocalyptic, like the world's going to end in 20. It's not what I'm trying to say. I have no idea when Christ will come back. I don't know if he'll come back today. I don't know if he'll come back thousands of years from now. But I know this, a life given over to the kingdom of God is a life worth living. A life that is prepared and ready for the return of Christ is a life worth living. A life that is seeking out the kingdom because Jesus is coming back and his promise is a good is accomplished. That life is worth living. Because beloved, Jesus is that good. The kingdom is that good. The power of the gospel is that real. It's that freeing have to be dominated by the things of this world. You can live in the freedom and power of Christ here and today. So, we talked about a lot, a lot of different ideas. I threw up some practicals of what that might look like for you, but I want to ask you to do this. We're going to take just a couple minutes to pray. I want to encourage you to meet with the Lord, and I, want, I, want, I genuinely want you to just honestly ask the Lord, Lord, what is my next step of faith? What does that look like? What does it look like for you take a step closer to holiness, to deeper intimacy with Christ. See what he says to you. Consider who you might share that with today. One of our pastors, your spouse, a friend, someone in your gospel community. But ask him. See what he says. Take it seriously. Take a few minutes to pray, church. Then I'll pray and then we'll sing and close our time.